Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. We have a big show, so let's get right to it. Later on in the show, my old friend Marcy Ian stops by. She is now the Member of Parliament for the riding of Toronto Centre, but you know her as the former host of The Social and Canada AM. Uh, she's also the author of Off Script, a book of personal milestones, tales of resilience and kindness, dramatic moments from her career as a journalist, and also insights from the many unforgettable people that she's met and interviewed. We got caught up, and we talk about the power of saying no, about doing Canada AM, and getting up in the middle of the night when everybody else is still sleeping to go to work, while she's also raising a young family at the same time. It's a great interview. Stick around for that. It's a little bit later on. Anna Golia stops by. The actor, producer, and singer is well-known for her role as Zoe on Degrassi, but now we're here to talk about her second single. She's also a singer. All Night comes from her personal pandemic EP, Strive. We talk about the single and her work with Kids Help Phone. But first up, let's meet Chantelle Gerton beauty expert and television personality. She's well known to audiences of Canada's number one daytime talk show, The Marilyn Dennis Show. She's also a frequent guest on many morning news shows. Her new project is a novel called Instamom. It's the story of an Instagram influencer who became famous talking about her fun, fabulous, and most importantly, in this case, child-free life. But then her life changes in ways that she did not expect when she becomes romantically involved with a chef who has a daughter. Here's Chantelle Gerton. People make a living as influencers, like the main character in your book here. Um, what's your relationship with social media? So I think that I have sort of a middle of the road um, relationship with social media. I've been on all the platforms for years and years. And only sort of made it kind of a bit professional in that as I was working on television, being a beauty expert, um, a lot of times brands would sort of come to me and say like, oh, do you want to also do a partnership on Instagram? So at first it felt like, oh, it seems like pretty easy. And in the beginning it was, right? And then in later years before I stopped doing um, that, you know, while I was working on the book, um, it, it felt like there's contracts and you're, you have to make sure you're following the guidelines. They have to sign off on it. Even your Instagram stories is pre-recorded, approved. You might have to redo it. Um, and I felt like it, it was, it was bad. And that I was like, this is like not for me because mm -hmm. I'm used to morning television and it's live. And if I can't like open the lipstick tube, we get it. There's <laughs> lipstick in there, you know? And, uh, I feel like, you know, it's five minutes, you're done, you move on with your day. And this became like, I felt so self-conscious. And then I would see like some people really thrive at that. Like they're very good at it. And, but I can't imagine the pressure. So it gave me this insight into a world. I was just like dabbling in it. Mm -hmm. People are making their entire career out of this. And I think even if you're so good at it, it must be very stressful think it's a hard thing you're curating it and you're mostly curating for people that you have never met who are then going to judge you so they're judging you on this curated life and you may be wanting to share something that is real but you don't feel like it's on brand but mm -hmm. what if you do share it and then you get negative feedback how awful must that feel so all of these emotions swirling around 
And it is in that world, or partially in that world, that Instamom uh, takes place. Tell me a little bit about the inspiration for this book. So I, like you were talking about, I really wanted to explore this world of social media and a character who made her living tied to social media. So it, it, for Kit, she starts off as um, <clears throat> a woman who's child-free by choice. She's written a book called Kid Free Forever. And it's kind of spawned this entire industry. So she does speaking tours. She goes to co women's conferences. She starts these meetup groups called No Kidding. And women come to them so that they can meet for dinner. They can talk about everything other than kids and have a community when maybe at that stage of their life, they're in their early 30s, all of their friends have had children and they have a community of, you know, other moms and you feel sort of left out. So she's created all of this world. Women love her because she's supporting them. She's a voice for them. And the Instagram sort of takes on a role of its own because she starts to get brand partnerships. She's curating this like child-free life. Look out. And even if you are a mom, you're like, oh my gosh, like, wouldn't I love to be in Mykonos right now, you know, on the beach. So she's showing them this thing and it's just supposed to be fun, but the brand partnerships are continuing. And what she's realizing is, you know, three, four years after you've written a book, nobody cares about that book anymore. But what's paying the bills are the Instagram brand partnerships. So I think that's a very realistic story for people. And at the same time, I wanted you know, to up the stakes, it's like, well, if she is this child-free woman and this is going to be a rom-com, then she's going to meet a man who actually is a father. Because then what would you do? It's not only your own ideas, how you feel, how you want to change, you know, live your life. It's this entire career and persona you've created to hundreds and thousands of people out there who are going to judge you. And of course, he's a chef because chefs are the new rock stars. <laughs> of course <laughs> what could she do it's a hot chef <laughs> you're listening to my interview with Chantel Gerton find her book Instamom wherever fine books are sold part of this was spawned by your uh, experience with social media did you do research into this did you look at see how Kim Kardashian manages her social media or other giant influencers yeah, well, actually, I remember one time going to an event and there is a scene in the book that it's not, it's, it's, it's dissimilar, the opening scene of the book, but it's in ways it was very much um, inspired by an event I went to where it was the first time I had seen everything being very curated. And I think I just walked in and like, you know, like a red shirt and a black pair of pants. And I noticed that a lot of people were wearing white, purple, and black. And I was like, is this a coincidence that people yeah. have shown up in the colors of this event and there were balloons and everything was this way. And I saw a photographer and I was like, oh, just, you know, an event photographer, as they always send so that the PR people can see how many people attended the event right. and report. And I realized, no, that is a personal photographer for that influencer. And it was like, there were photo shoots happening everywhere. And I was like, okay, something happened overnight. Like this is next level. This is their career. And they're not going to have like some random shot. And at one point, um, a photographer said to me, like, was kind of motioning to me to move. And I thought it was to take my picture, um, you know, being at the event. And he was like, get out of the shot. Like he was trying to get the influencer with the balloons and no randos in the photo. And I, I was like, 
oh my God. Like, I was like, I think I have to just leave this event now. Like I felt like old and like not cool. And just like, but what I loved about it was that I was like, it was this insight into this world. If this is what you're going to do. And a lot of these influencers, you know, were like much younger than me. They were making it happen and good for them because that's why their feed looks so beautiful. Like they have thought about it. And, and a lot of them I learned uh, also get paid to go to the event, right. To show up because then they'll take the photos. That's how they knew the color scheme. I didn't get that on my invite because no one cared. <laughs> and your, your invite didn't come with a paycheck. That's right. Well, it's interesting to me that uh, a lot of uh, what happens now on social media is a throwback to what used to happen years ago when, uh, you know, newspaper photographers uh, were in celebrities had sort of a simpatico relationship and you've got your picture taken walking into Studio 54 or whatever it might be. A lot of the same ways of doing business are still being used by these influencers. So while the the methodology is new or the delivery system, I guess, is new, the methods aren't particularly new. Oh, that's such an interesting take. And I think that's so true. Like, you know, to also to stay in this world of media, you do have to shift with wit, how people are consuming the information, mm -hmm. right? And I think there may be because social media was so is so accessible to anybody. You can have an Instagram account, you can write whatever you want, nobody's editing or curating you, you can decide, then people don't realize like, oh, this is this is a form of media. This is mm -hmm. why this is happening. These people are paid. This is their job because we think, oh, we're just in the same world as them, but you're not. What did you learn from writing this book that perhaps was unexpected for you? That's a great question. And what I think the the aspect that hit me the most and left, you know, stayed with me was when I was trying to figure out what would Kit do. So I wanted to write a novel that people felt this feels real. So right. it's a major decision. Um, she has to decide, is she going to date this man who has a, has a child? And what does that mean for her? And what does that mean for her career? And what does that mean for everybody who has thought one thing about her? And that's not a snap decision that you can make. And so I had to kind of write my way through like, what feels like what she would do. And what I realized was that ultimately, the thing you have to worry about is how you feel about the decisions that you make because you care. You're, you, the only person really that cares about you the most is yourself. And so if you make the decision that's right for you, shut out the noise, then you can deal with the comments, right? She was going to deal with backlash no matter what decision she made. But I think that it, you can live your life if you knew you made the de best decision that you could for yourself and shut out everyone. And I think that that is something that's really useful to think about when we get caught up in social media and worrying about what someone will think out there who's never met me or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure people who get comments that are just rude or judgmental or mean, right? It's just remembering that those people don't matter. It's like it, you have to bring it back into yourself. That was Chantal Gerton. Find her book, Instamom, wherever fine books are sold. In this segment, we're going to meet Anna Golia. Now, you know her as Zoe from Degrassi Next Class and Degrassi The Next Generation. Uh, but today we're talking about her single, 
All Night. It's the second song off of Strive, a collection of songs that she's calling her Pandemic EP. All Night speaks to the challenges many people experience, which has only been magnified by the pandemic. That's depression, despair, and the challenges of everyday life. And it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. Here's Anna. It is uh, a track that I think people will enjoy if you hear it super loud in a club, if we can ever do that again. Uh, but it's Hopefully. about something. So tell me about the inspiration of the song. Yeah, so um, the inspiration for me really came, uh, I mean, it came from a few things. Um, definitely growing up in the industry, I've I've seen a lot, um, a lot, you know, people who seem like they had it all. Uh, on the surface, but, you know, had, had a lot of their, had a lot of personal issues and and mental health issues that they were dealing with in unhealthy ways. So between the way that I grew up in the industry and that joined with the pandemic, which kind of amplified things, I thought, you know, I, I really wanted to do something that spread a little hope and, and love in the world and awareness. Um, about about mental health. And so I guess the idea is then to start a conversation. We use the song to start a conversation and maybe to normalize the idea of that it's okay to talk about this because for those who haven't seen the video, do we talk about the end of the video? Do we talk about what happened? I mean, it, it, it looks as though there is a supportive ear at the end of the video. Maybe that's what we'll say without actually giving anything away uh but that's an important message and a a very potent message yeah thank you it's uh the video i think really ties it in a in a nice little bow but um but that's why with this release i i collaborated with kids help phone to again continue that conversation of you know there there are people out there there are resources out there available to you know people of all ages whether you're a kid dealing with bullying um or in this day and age cyberbullying you know there are people to to talk to about it yeah and let's talk a little bit about uh, kids help phone just so people who perhaps aren't familiar with it uh, will know what it is it's 24 hours a day 7 days a week and it's a it's an e mental health uh, service that that offers free and confidential advice. Expand on that if you could. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of work with Kids Help Phone through my years on Degrassi, um, and that's kind of when we first met. And they just do so much incredible work. They have their text support line, they have their phone line, and they have, of course, they have their KidsHelpPhone.ca, which. In addition to the chat service, they also have a plethora of resources as far as articles go. Um, and again, for a whole age range and for a variety of different different issues that people are dealing with. I think that once the pandemic is over and we knock wood that it's happening soon, that everyone's getting vaccinated yeah. and all the stuff we're supposed <laughs> to be doing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I I wonder how much pandemic inspired art we're going to see come out of this, because I think this song all night is probably one example of something that was influenced directly by what you were seeing and, and feeling all around you. Do you think there'll Absolutely. be more? <laughs> Oh, for sure. <laughs> this is just the beginning. I think yeah. we'll be seeing this for many, many years to come. 
but even my entire EP, it was all done during the pandemic. Um, and it was all inspired by my, my time in these 15 months. And were you actually in a room with other people or were you emailing bits and adding vocals later? And that's exactly it. Yeah. Zoom sessions. Uh, I got a whole setup at home because obviously recording studios were closed. So I had to learn how to be my own engineer, which I'm terrible at. So um, it was a whole learning curve. You're listening to my interview with Anna Golia. Find All Night and her EP Strive wherever you buy fine music. I, I think that one of the interesting things, another of the interesting things that will come out of all of this is that uh, people have had to figure out how to adapt uh, during this very trying time. You're recording yourself at home, which is something that perhaps you wouldn't have done before. Uh, you are Never. working remotely. It, and I'm sure that working over Zoom must present some challenges. Did, you, did the challenges... Uh, or did the good that came out of it outweigh the challenges? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And by the end of it, I, you know, I gained a whole new skill set that I wouldn't have otherwise. So I'm definitely better for it at the, at the end of all of this. So uh, All Night that has a, a video that goes along with it. Um, where will people be able to find that? I suppose YouTube and everywhere else. But is there a special place you'd like them to go to? So there's going to be two special places. It'll be premiering on iHeartRadio on uh, on their website, and and then of course YouTube. All night, he's been messing with the wrong guy. I'm a girl on the front lines. Way too much to drink is not right. It's not right. His thoughts are slipping. He'll feel it tomorrow. The clock keeps on ticking when fear becomes sorrow. Cause I. It's exciting, right, to, to launch something like this. You've been working on this, I'm sure, for some time. Forever. When yeah. everything else is kind of shut down. You know, the, the pandemic's been interesting for you because The Cuban, a movie that you co-star with Louis Gossett Jr., uh, came out sort of at the early part, I think, of the pandemic. Uh, and now this record is coming out at what hopefully will be the end of the pandemic. Before the pandemic, um, I was just traveling a lot. So right. that was taking up a lot of my time. So... Although that's been taken out of my life, I've, I've still actually been really busy doing other things. Mm -hmm. um, decided to go to university this year because why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, producing another film and continuing, you know, writing music and recording music. So I've definitely stayed really busy. I definitely want my hands to be in, in multiple pots. Yeah. Um, I just... I feel like when you're a creative person, you're just creative and yeah. it manifests in so many different ways. So right now it's music and film. <laughs> How do you break up a day? What's a regular day like for you with all that going on? Oh, goodness. Uh, it's a bit of everything. It really depends on, um, you know, what the focus is and, and where I'm at with my projects. But I try to dedicate a little bit of time to each kind of avenue of uh of my career every day and then of course you know some some me time for a nice glass of wine and relaxing right. with my family 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting as we all uh, or many of us are working at home, uh, it, that, that little bit of me time becomes, I think, a little bit harder to uh, to carve out because you are living where you work and working where you live. And I know that certainly, um, I don't know if I'm working as hard, but I'm certainly working as many hours or maybe more than I was before. Everyone's, I think, in the same boat. That work-life separation yeah. doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, but but I think that's again like why it's so important to to talk about it and and make sure we do set aside that time for us the same that we would if we were you know working in person because yeah. it starts to take a toll on you and I learned that very early on in the pandemic. How will this song directly benefit Kids Help Fund? So it's going to be raising awareness for for the organization and and letting kids know that there are resources out there. So basically I'm just trying to plug them and, and what they do and the amazing work that they do at every chance that I, I can get and especially over social media as well. Anna, thanks so much for this. Thank you. That was my interview with Anna Golia. You can find Strive, the EP, and All Night wherever you buy fine music. I've been looking forward to this. This is my interview with Marcy Ian. She, of course, is my old friend from the Canada AM days. You know her from The Social. Well, she's now a member of Parliament for the Riding of Toronto Centre, uh, and she's written a book called Off Script. It came out a little while ago, but we talk about that. We talk about politics a little bit. We talk about what it was like working on Canada AM and getting up literally in the middle of the night. It's a really fun interview. Here's Marcy Ian. And now a career in broadcasting hasn't always been an easy path for you. I've known you for a long time, but let's go back a little bit before that. You were told early on that you didn't have the quote, it factor. How do you react when someone says something like that to you? At that time, Richard, I, I really had to give it some thought. The person that said this to me had been in the business a long time and you know, one would think that, you know, they knew what they were talking about. And so you think, are they are they saying something that's true? Should I be going down a different path? Maybe this isn't for me. And then by the time I got to my car to leave that interview, I thought, I don't accept that, you know, and I, I now call it the power of no. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to young people, a lot of them young journalists, I, I tell them that it really is about self, about believing in yourself. Um, Toronto Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet is famous for saying bet on yourself and and I absolutely agree and sometimes people don't see something in mm -hmm. you or they don't want to see something in you uh, but you've got to just persevere that doesn't mean it isn't hard and that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt but it means you keep going did you send that person a copy of your book when it came out <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Uh, hopefully they, they've seen it around. Uh, hopefully they, they recognize themselves and, and, and maybe, you know, change their tune. Mm -hmm. uh, but the one thing that I thought about, Richard, when I wrote was that I, I needed to be honest. If I was going to do something like this, I was going to lay it out. And that was one of the stories that really resonated because uh, a lot of people told me it did. A lot of people had been in the same boat. And again, it's that power of no, you know, it's that are you taking that 
or are you going to turn that around and and have it kind of power you ahead, power you forward? Now, we first met on Canada AM, and so I saw first hard or firsthand how hard everybody worked on that show. Tell me about the grind of getting up in what is the middle of the night for everybody else uh, and of doing a show while raising a young family. Oh, my gosh, Richard. It was hard. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. And I never sugarcoated the fact that it was, you know, um, it was really about what I had to do in preparation, right? It was all about the night before. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about the middle of the night. It was, did I get lunches made? Are clothes laid out? Do I know what I'm putting on? Have I done my research? You know, it was all of the stuff that had to happen, all the prep that had to happen. But then, you know, there was the guilt. It was, am I there enough for my kids? And when I am there, am I present? Or am I falling asleep, literally? So there is all of that. You know, I remember so many people at that time saying, wow, you're so lucky you do a morning show. Your day ends at, <laughs> right, 11 o'clock in the morning. And then you have the whole day, right? I'm sure people have said that to you, too. Absolutely. You shared, you shared a seat with me many times on that show yeah. and did those hours. And that's not the case at all. The fact of the matter is that, you know, you're researching, you're doing uh, hits or interviews after the show, you're, you've got meetings during the day. There are prep um, things that you have to mm -hmm. do. And it's an ongoing thing. The phone never turns off. So really the guilt for me was, am I there for my kids? Do they have enough of me? And it came to a point, uh, Richard, and I think as women in particular, we put so much pressure on ourselves. Mm -hmm. It came to a point where I just had to throw balance out the window because the guilt factor was just too high, where I, I really didn't look for balance anymore. The way I survived was when I'm with you, I'm with you. You've, you got me 100%. So when I'm working, I'm all in. When I'm with my family, I'm all in. And that helped a lot. You're listening to my interview with Marcy Ian. Find her book off script wherever you buy fine books. Do you think that when Canada AM ended and those crazy hours ended, that it gave you a clarity, I guess, to be able to sit back and go, I have to re-examine a few things in my life here, uh, work-wise, yeah. relationship-wise, everything. Yeah. But you finally yeah. got a clear enough head to do it. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. It was huge clarity. Mm -hmm. And I was also looking 50 in the eye, right. you know, and, and thinking, and thinking, do I want the next half of my life to look the way it does right now? Mm -hmm. What changes do I want to implement? What do I need to do? And so I really took that time, some time after AM ended, to think about that. I, I went away for a bit. I went by myself. I went to Jamaica in this kind of little hut and took some journals and uh, not much else and sat there for, you know, a week and a half and thought about what I wanted to do. But more importantly, Richard, what I didn't mm -hmm. want to do. I think that that is so often the thing that we forget about. We think about what we want to do. Most important is figuring out what we do in our day-to-day -day that makes us unhappy and then figuring out why we continue to do that. I know that has been a struggle with me over the years, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, it, and it's so important, you know, um, and to be honest mm -hmm. about it because uh, the thing that I found um, doing AM, while I love the job, I really had to make sure that I was on a particular routine. And, it, you know, getting to bed at the same time, 
um, doing the things that I needed to do in order to do the show well. And when it ended, all of a sudden, it's like this, these bright lights kind of turned on <laughs> and it was, well, hey, now I can do something completely right. different or not. What do I want to do with the rest of my life? I felt 21, not 50. <laughs> Well, and you look 21, not 50. Oh, so. boy. Well, you're, you're very kind. You're very kind. Now, you write in the book that as a black news person and the first black woman to co-host a national morning show, you say, I never felt like I had a lot of room for error. How did that feed into your day-to-day -day life at work? My work ethic has always been pretty good, mm -hmm. more than pretty good. And it is that way because I knew that walking through doors, I was taking a community with me. Right. I knew that. I knew that people would be looking to me. They would be looking to, you know, what I said, what I didn't say, what I delved into, how I stood up, how I didn't stand up, all of these things. And that's something that my colleagues didn't have to do or even be aware of. It's something that I was aware of every minute of every day. And whether that was more an internal thing, Richard, you know, or an external thing. I just knew that I had to be better than most. And, and, and it's also this whole idea of proving yourself. You know, it, when you're in a newsroom and there aren't a lot of people of color or you're the only, you, you just, there's this thing in you where it's, you just have to be outstanding. You don't want anybody to ever question why you're there or that you're there because of your color because maybe they needed somebody to fill a quota. And so for me, it was working really, really hard to prove that I deserved to be there and to prove that you know I was one of the best at what I did. When you switched over to the social, uh, a lot of us would look at it and say, well, it's another great broadcasting job, but it's a very different broadcasting job than what you had spent the last decades doing. You went from news to a show that was more about commentary and commenting on the news. And it's a fine line, but to be successful at that, you have to open yourself up. You have to reveal parts of yourself. Was that a difficult thing for you? I know a lot of news people are trained to keep themselves out of the story, yeah. only report on the fact in front of you. It's a much different thing. How did you adapt to that? It was hard. Really? It was really hard. And um, but my co-hosts made me comfortable. They, you know, held me up when I didn't feel that I was doing such a great job. And um, it was um, it was an amazing experience. It really was to be out there every day and know that I had this safety net in the women around me and to just be honest, brutally, brutally honest. Well, your book uh, off script, Living Out Loud, is also very honest, brutally so sometimes. And you are very open about your marriage in the book. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about making that decision uh, to be able to open yourself in that way. Why is it important? So important because so many people are going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons I said, you know, if I'm going to be honest about everything and where I am at this point in my life, I'm going to lay it all out. Yeah. And my marriage was, you know, something that I needed to be open about. And I also think that, you know, when you do the job that we do, Richard, people assume things. They think, what a great life. Right. What a charmed, right? What a charmed <laughs> life. Nothing could possibly be, ever be going wrong. 
And I wanted to smash that to smithereens. I wanted to let people know that there were times where I really couldn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. There were times that I was so saddened. There were times that I was lonely, even being married and feeling lonely, which is the worst thing. And, and I wanted to be honest about that because I knew that people could relate. And I thought if I could help one person, and frankly, in writing it, it helped me. It was cathartic in, cathartic in many, many ways. Um, I, I couldn't be anything but open when it came to that. Well, that's going off script. Right. That's, that's a, going off script. That's going off script, which is the title yeah. of your book. Um, how does it feel now? Do you feel liberated? Do you feel uh, that that anything now uh, doesn't keep you down in the way that it did before? Because you found a newfound, not honesty, but a newfound openness. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, um, in people that I talk to or that I've mentored, young people, mostly you know, young journalists, I will say to them, if there is a regret that I have, if there was something that I would tell my younger self, it would absolutely be to stand up more mm. and to stand up more and say more and have the courage to do that. And so I encourage them all the time to do just that. Off script is that, it's this is behind the scenes, pulling the curtain back and it's 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 all of me and it's a journey you know it's a journey that I'm very much still on Richard there's there's a lot more to go you're listening to my interview with Marcy Ian her book off script is available wherever you buy fine books well you write very uh, concisely and clearly in the book about being pulled over by a police officer near your house uh, yeah. you were scared and then you you included it in the book. Were you taken aback by the reaction? I know there were articles in the newspapers and things. And, and what do you want people to know about that incident? Thanks so much for asking about that. I, this is where um, life experience comes mm -hmm. into play. And as I spoke, Richard, about being stopped on my driveway or told friends, you know, white girlfriends, you know, to a person, they said, like, nothing like that has ever happened to me. They're, they're not scared when they're pulled over. The reason that black people or people of color might be scared when they're pulled over is because they've probably seen things. They've experienced things, you know, and, and you don't escape that without scarring. And I call it internal scarring. This isn't microaggression. This is macroaggression. So to have seen my father pulled over and not treated well, to have seen my best friend pulled over and thrown to the ground, to have seen partners pulled over, not particularly for good reasons. You know, these are the things that we carry. So when I was stopped on that night and I was told to get out of my car in a tone that I didn't appreciate, that scared me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think about that and I think, you know, if that officer had said, listen, you know, I'm stopping you because, you know, you didn't stop at a stop sign down the way, I would have been fine with that. And I told him that, you know, if I had didn't stop completely or didn't stop, give me a ticket. But the fact that, you know, I was scared says a lot. And that's something that nobody really asked. And it's not anything that people really quite understand. You understand it if you're black. Mm -hmm. You may not understand if you're not. So that's something just to share that a stop is not just a stop for everybody. There's trauma that goes along with it. 
uh, because of lived experience. There's all these firsts in broadcasting. But then I get an email one day and all of a sudden my friend Mercy Ian has entered politics. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. What, what do you want people to know about your shift to politics? If you had told me six months, <laughs> even five months before I made that shift, that this is what I'd be doing, this is what my life would look like, I would have said, absolutely not. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Absolutely not. But here's what happened, you know, and as I look back, it's, it's quite an interesting thing. When George Floyd was killed, we did a lot on, on the show, on the social, about, you know, the, the, the plight of Canada and race and the idea that, you know, we like to point our fingers to the south and say they've got issues over there and, and not look at our own. I shared a lot of personal experiences mm -hmm. as well. And that just got something in my heart going, you know, got my, something in my heart just going. And I thought to myself, and I wrote about this in the book too, about legacy. You know, I thought about, you know, uh, am I using my microphone well? Am I using it the right way? If I've got more years behind me than I do ahead of me, I want to be using my microphone and my voice the right way. And I started to think about those things, Richard. And then I got a call from the PMO. And that call was, would you ever consider being part of our team? And the thing is, I couldn't say no right away. And I'm a decisive person. And right. the fact that I couldn't say no, and I had to think about it, put me on that track. And the next thing I knew, after talking to family and, and close friends, I was throwing my hat into a by-election ring in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> that was Marcy Ian. Her book, Off Script, is available right now wherever you buy fine books. Always so much fun to talk to Marcy. Informative, smart, and engaging. Check her out on Twitter at Marcy Ian uh, to keep up with everything that she's got going on, including what she's doing as a member of parliament. Also, big thanks to Chantelle Gerton for stopping by to talk about her book, Instamom. It's available wherever you buy fine books. And check out Anna Golia's new single, All Night, on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever you listen to great music. As always, though, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, and we'll talk again soon. Music.